Welcome to Walking in Faith with Bishop Daly. I'm Bishop Tom Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington State. And I'm very happy to have today uh, Dr. Joe Mudd, a professor uh, at Gonzaga University. Uh, Joe has a long history of, of helping the church in this ministry of uh, higher education. But Joe, for our listening audience who may not know you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a professor, your studies, uh, your family, anything else you want to talk about to begin the show? Sure, yeah. Well, thank you, first of all, Bishop, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you for a little bit. Um, I am in my 10th year at Gonzaga. I came to Gonzaga from a little Catholic school in Connecticut called Sacred Heart University, where I was for a year. And before that, did my doctoral studies at Boston College, uh, where I think you also have a degree from. Mm -hmm. um, and I am a native of Montana, though, so I'm a, I'm a West Coast guy. I, I grew up in the Intermountain West, Missoula, Montana. Uh, so coming to Gonzaga was something of a homecoming for me. So it's been a, a wonderful pleasure to be able to be here and serve this community. Um, my uh, teaching at Gonzaga covers a range of, of subjects. Um, I direct a Catholic studies program. I teach courses in Christian doctrine and in Catholicism and in liturgy. Uh, my, my area of specialization is actually Eucharistic theology, uh, where I did my doctoral studies. Uh, and my wife, Vanessa, works at Gonzaga Prep, where she directs the campus ministry program there. And we have three little kids in Catholic school here in the diocese. Um, and so we're just, we're happy to be able to be here and serve this community. And for me to be able to be in higher education uh, and to engage the wonderful questions that my students raise in class, it's, it's a lot of fun. Even though we're teaching in this environment of COVID-19, it's been uh, still a pleasure to, to engage with them. So yeah, that's a little bit about me um, and kind of where, where I'm coming from. When you're um, you know, choosing Eucharistic uh, theology, it's, it's providential that uh, this is the beginning of our show because we have in our diocese, as you well know, a year of the Eucharist. Yeah. And that came from the laity. Um, yeah. In conversations I had with Brian Kraut and uh, Mitchell and uh, Chris Kreslin and um, I know this time of the COVID has been a, a great strain on people's prayer life and, and, and spiritual life, uh, not being able to gather in a community uh, for the mass. And although we have, we're blessed here in Eastern Washington, as well as uh, Idaho and Montana to have more opportunities than let's say my family in San Francisco. Sure. Um, how did you choose um, again, that area of Eucharist for your, for your doctoral studies? Um, something from a boy, uh, something that came later on yeah. as you matured and grew in faith. You know, when I was a kid, I used to, to say mass uh, at the little kids table with cookies and milk and I think like a lot of young Catholic boys. Uh -huh. um, so I've always been fascinated by it and, and grew up um, active in the church with my family and, and church was a big part of growing up. Um, and then there's there's something about the Eucharist. Uh, Jean-Luc Marion has a line at the end of his uh, book, God Without Being where he talks about the Eucharist as the place to which every philosophy must go to test itself. Mm. Uh, and so it was something that, that I found myself increasingly drawn to, not by way of trying to explain it. This is always a, a temptation for theologians to try to explain things into uh, oblivion, um, but, tr but to try to enter more deeply into it, something that I'd been drawn to and attracted to from the time I was a child, um, and to really plumb the depth of its meaning. What does this really mean for me as a person? What does it mean for us as a church that God gives his very life to us? Um, and, and to spend time with that in research. And then um, I, I found this particular character, Bernard Lonergan, who I ended up studying 
and trying to use his thought to again illumine what's going on in the church's Eucharistic doctrine to really amplify the concrete way in which God comes to encounter us. That this this is a, a different approach. It's not an idea. It's not abstract floating out there in some world of ideas. This is a concrete encounter with the living God that we've been given in the Eucharist. And that's a pretty fun place to hang out for a while and, and meditate on and think about and write about. So I think it started really early on, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of came to fruition uh, in this encounter with a uh, Jesuit theologian, Bernard Lonergan. So. I think for, as, a, as a parish priest and, and a pastor now as a bishop, um, in our diocese, as you know, we have uh, Eucharist and confirmation frequently uh, conferred together. So right. most of the time it is the parish priest in, in a parish that um, celebrates the mass of, of first Eucharist, first communion. And then the bishop comes for confirmation. And sometimes I, I, I do feel uh, for the pastor who watches the bishop come into his community that he knows closely uh, and celebrate that very important sacrament um, in the lives of our young people, Eucharist. Now, confirmation generally has, is, is with older kids in most of the country and most of the world. But um, there is, I have to say, and maybe you've discovered this having in your own children, there is a grace, I believe, uh, God has given our young people where, again, the Eucharist is mystery, but it is also gift. And, and our young people, I found our children, they understand something in that Eucharist that is beyond them, beyond the world. They don't quite get confirmation then, but there's something I believe in grace because the Eucharist is, as they say, food for the journey, the spiritual life. Have you found in your own children? I know I, I, um, I think one of the kids I celebrated, uh, one of your children at, at, at St. Augustine's or Cataldo, I can't remember, uh, or maybe it was St. Al's, I don't, can't remember which parish, but have you yeah. found in your own children that same maybe a gift that you had as a child drawn to the Eucharist as a dad? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny to watch it happen because it's nothing that I ever instructed them to Mm -hmm. do, but our youngest Tucker who's preparing now, he, uh, he does this kind of routine where he, Mm -hmm. it's something that enters the imagination where he uh, elevates his, his milk. Um, He, he sees that the drama of, of the rite itself, I think captures the imagination. One of the, one of the funny things about sacramental prep is, um, this is such a mystery that goes beyond what we can possibly articulate that um, all of our attempts to try to make sense of it or to even suggest that children have reached the age of reason that they're able to do this. Well, it's not because you figured it out that you're invited to the Eucharistic table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because you can, you can, with your own agency, participate in this reality. You are, you are part of one of the agents of the church. You have a, a, a lot of power in your life, even as a seven-year-old. Um, to affect uh, the world for good, to, to be kind to others, to be forgiving, to be merciful. Um, and you need grace to be able to do that. And so the grace of the Eucharist, I think, helps young people to do that. But there is something um, almost uncanny in the, in the way that I, I see my young boys um, captured by this, this, this drama. And we, we, uh, we always try to sit right in the front when we were able to, to be all together for, for Mass before to sit right in front so that the children can be close to the to the action as it were mm-hmm. to be able to really enter into this this drama because it, it really works at the level of the imagination more than it does at the level of the intellect the intellect runs up into a wall at a certain point when you're dealing with the eucharist but the imagination can go anywhere with it uh and and it can really allow a young person to to have a, a view of the world that is imbued with the divine presence 
that here, even in this, this smallest little piece of food, God is here in this unique way, entering into my life. Well, that means God must be everywhere else too. It's a pretty dramatic image that the Eucharist offers us to think about who God really is. You know, as you say that, I know that uh, at the time when I had, to, um, I was chair of the theology department at the Marin Catholic, and there was um, a teacher who, uh, to say the least, lacked the uh, sufficient amount of humility that is required to be, I think, uh, um, a guide for young people, because that's in many ways what a theology teacher should do is guide young people. I often quote that line from the Eucharistic prayer number four that isn't often celebrated because you can't separate the preface from that, that prayer, but you choose the weak and make them strong is a very profound part of the older translation of the preface of martyrs. But in the fourth Eucharistic prayer, all who seek you with a sincere heart and all those whose faith is known to you alone. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you're again, entering into this mystery more on the level of high school kids, um, this one professor or teacher was always trying to say that the miracle of loaves and fish, which today, uh, of course, is the, the gospel reading on the uh, Wednesday of the first week of Advent, yeah. uh, that they just shared their lunches. And uh, it's like he could explain every miracle uh, from scripture uh, that fit nice and tightly into his view of, of theology of the world. And I think the kids sense in uh, that miracle of loaves and fish, which always draws young people. I mean, from the earliest age, that something more did happen than just people sharing their lunch. And um, I think you're right when you say that uh, in, in the drama and the mystery and the action, it all comes together to you. You try to, that desire we all have to explain and understand everything, we do hit a wall. So I was at the seminary today earlier and talking with Father Barnett, the rector, and one of, our, one of the men, um, again, there is a mystery to vocation. Um, I often say, you know, Christ chooses the man, uh, the man chooses to respond. But um, when you try to fully explain why I'm sure why you fell in love and married the woman who's your wife, there is not 100% certainty and rational understanding of love, nor is in there the miracle of the Eucharist, nor is there a priestly vocation. I think when we're able to live in mystery, but striving and, uh, to seek the truth, there's a profound gift of grace and uh, the sacraments, of course, uh, provide for that. Um, what have you, uh, we're going to end into the first segment, but um, have you, um, what's the one kind of uh, most memorable experience of teaching uh, theology so far since you've been at Gonzaga? Maybe we can end this segment with you thinking of that and, um, and then we'll begin the second segment after the break. Anything that's memorable? Oh, so many, so many memories. Um, I've been very fortunate to have students who are um, really authentically curious mm -hmm. uh, and who come to me in office hours with insights and experiences of transformation in the classroom that I certainly didn't anticipate or try to provoke through some device or something like this. Um, so I've, I've had students, I had one student who came as an, as an evangelical um, and he came to me one time um, in office hours and said, you know, I've, I've, I've realized that the thing that I'm missing in my faith is the sacraments. And so he started going to mass and he didn't become Catholic, but he is now in, at Princeton Seminary uh, studying mm -hmm. uh, to become a pastor in the Anglican church. He, he clearly needed this sacramental reality. Um, and, and conversations I've had, uh, I have another student who graduated recently, actually a student that, that you know, 
uh, from Marin Catholic, uh, who mm -hmm. graduated last year, um, who was an artist uh, and a person of very deep faith. Um, and we had just wonderful experiences during office hours talking about art and the sacraments and his faith. And um, he, uh, he gave me a bottle of water from Lourdes um, when he had visited. And that was probably the nicest thing I've ever received from a yeah. student. Um, that he thought to thought of me while he was there and brought water back for me. And so I have that in my home. And yeah. in our experience of COVID, we've been blessing ourselves with the water <laughs> from Lourdes. So that's that's one of my favorite memories. That's great. Well, we're talking to Dr. Joe Mudd, a professor uh, at Gonzaga University. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll continue and ask uh, Dr. Mudd um, kind of his insights on why it's important uh, for Catholic higher education today in the lives of our young people. Welcome back. Uh, this is Bishop Tom Daly, the Diocese of Spokane. I'm talking with Dr. Jill Mudd from Gonzaga University. And uh, Dr. Mudd is the director of the Catholic Studies program. Uh, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about the, the origin of this program, how it fits into the overall mission of the university uh, as it relates to religious studies? Uh, um, I mean, the, the whole mission is a Jesuit school. So something about that and how you became director. Sure. So I've been the director of the program for the past couple of years. Um, it began in the early 2000s uh, as a place for students to really engage the Catholic tradition um, within the larger context of the university. And so it's distinct from religious studies in that respect. We offer a, in the program a, a minor in Catholic studies, um, but also we, um, are, we sponsor a number of, of programs on campus and work collaboratively with university ministry to offer um, experiences for Catholic students, especially around the intellectual life and the Catholic intellectual tradition. And so um, the programs is, is, I'm in the Department of Religious Studies, so it's housed in Religious Studies, um, but it's, it's a separate entity as a program. And what the program really tries to do is to give students uh, a sense of the, the breadth, but also the depth of the Catholic intellectual tradition. Um, and it's, it's a place where uh, students can kind of craft their own uh, program out of courses that we designate as Catholic studies uh, courses that range anything from uh, music and art, uh, courses in philosophy and, and religious studies or theology to be sure. Um, and hopefully in the future, increasing numbers of courses in things like literature um, to, to give a sense of the, the broad uh, sweep of the Catholic tradition. And then the other things that we do involve really kind of small group conversations um, that allow students to get to a level of depth to form community with one another. Uh, I've been building a, a Catholic studies library in our little house on campus um, to be a place where students can come and engage the Catholic intellectual tradition and, and to, to find sources um, to stimulate their own reflection uh, and to, to move them along in their, in their faith journey to a mature adult appropriation of their faith, which is kind of the goal of the program. So that while they're in college, studying a whole range of things that they have this contact point that they can continue to come back to. Certainly uh, participating in university ministry activities is very important. Uh, attending mass is very important, but if, if there's not an intellectual component to the faith at this moment in their life, it can start to slip and other ideas start to dominate the way they're thinking. And so we try to be a place where they can come really ask the questions that they have of the tradition. I welcome any question that any student ever wants to ask and we'll dialogue about it and investigate it. You know, you bring a very good point about, um, you know, young people as they, you know, traditionally we spoke of faith um, 
by birth, faith in transition, and faith by choice. And that really should be the um, kind of the marks that Catholic education, whether it's kindergarten all the way through university and grad school, guide people. Sometimes in the, uh, the higher levels, but I certainly see that secondary, there needs to be um, a reminder why we have Catholic schools, why they were founded to begin with. Um, yes, sports is important and a prestige, um, people with stickers on their cars where their kids go. But in the end, these schools and the founders and foundresses of these orders did so because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, of course, um, much has been written about children as young as 12 and 13 leaving their Catholic faith. And that study done by St. Mary's Press in Winona, the Christian Brothers College, they called Going, Going, Gone. And they broke down the, the as you know, Joe, broke down the young people into, I think, the... Uh, the injured, uh, the restless, or the, the drifter, the, the injured, the drifter, and the uh, dissenter. And um, what is a common element to, to each of the three groups is no one really explains to them why, for example, the role of suffering, uh, why the church teaches what it does on marriage and, and the life issues. And so they, they lack a community, which sounds like Catholic studies provides, but very important, they lack mentors who model for them uh, seeking the Lord with a sincere heart. And of course, the third thing is they lack an opportunity to ask questions and have an adult of significance in their life uh, guide them. Uh, I think that sounds like religious studies, excuse me, uh, Catholic studies tries to do that. Have you found um, with the questions young people ask that they are uh, certainly seeking uh, with a sincere Absolutely. heart? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, those characterizations of people at, at different phases, mm -hmm. um, developmentally, um, and then within their own spiritual life. Um, and, and a lot of my students, uh, they run into new questions as they come into, uh, out of high school and into university, they're entering into a new cultural paradigm, um, where they're trying to navigate how their faith fits into that. You know, I have, we have a lot of students who are majors in the sciences and engineering at Gonzaga. And so I get a lot of questions about the relationship between science and religion. I'm actually um, I'm working with a student on an honors thesis on that topic who wants to be really committed to his Christian faith, but he's a biologist and he's really committed to biology too. And how do we navigate that? Um, so they're certainly seeking, they're, I, and I find that they're seeking um, for an intellectual appropriation of faith. A lot of the students that I have in Catholic studies are very passionate about their faith. Um, they, they come from contexts where they've had a really wonderful formation, either in secondary education or in their homes um, or parishes. But there's this intellectual side. Um, and I think that the, the Catholic tradition has such a wonderful treasure to share with, with students at that level. There has been um, such uh, exploration, uh, deep investigation of every idea you can possibly think of. Um, and still today, Catholic intellectuals moving in the directions of, you know, theoretical physics, physics, hey, I have to remind students, you know, the Pope has a, a, an astronomer on staff, you know, this is, this is not divorced from Catholic faith. Uh, and so knitting that together with them, allowing them to ask those questions and to say, okay, how do we bring our faith to bear on, on these kinds of questions that, that you're confronting as you move into this new phase in life? And my goal really as an educator is to, to help them to arrive at a place where they can um, 
sit comfortably in their faith and confront any question, that they don't find themselves in a kind of defensive posture uh, and try to retreat from the world, that they don't become um, lost in the, in the morass of opinions that are out there, but that they have a, a, a deep grounding uh, and a conviction that, that God is uh, with them, that God is present to them in every moment, um, that Christ is present to them uh, in the sacrament. And that with that, they can go into the world and confront everyday life and look at any situation and say, okay, what is God asking of me in this situation? Uh, and, and also to stimulate within them that desire for lifelong learning, the constant appropriation of the faith tradition. So that I, th I fear that, you know, a, a child leaving their faith at, at 12 or, or 13, they just haven't been given a serious exposure to it. Absolutely. And I think that's one of my concerns when we uh, have confirmation first communion uh, at age eight. And if they're not in Catholic schools, that's the end of it for them. And uh, I, I, it, it, it's, I still can't believe that there are people, Catholics out there, who feel that the church and science are in opposition, when I have to remind them that no one runs the largest uh, private school system from priest K through medical school in the Catholic church. So clearly the church isn't uh, anti-science. It just wants faith and, and science to be working together. That's right. What, what have you seen, Joe, in, in, your, in the years teaching? Um, any change you've, you've seen in young people um, who you happen to have in class when it, in, in the areas of faith or uh, religion or spirituality? Any yeah. change? Are they the same? Or uh, I, I think in some ways that the students that I've counter, encountered in more recent years are increasingly open uh, in a way that maybe uh, folks in my generation or when I first started out teaching were a little more suspicious of religion. Um, I'm a Gen Xer and, and uh, we kind of were suspicious of everything in, in authority um, mm -hmm. and that can go off the rails. Uh, it can be healthy, but it can go off the rails. But I find my students are, are authentically seeking an open and then a number of them um, are, are really I would say kind of captured by the, the, the sort of the spirit of a Catholic faith that is uh, in the world, that is an engaged kind of a faith. Um, they're, they're kind of, uh, my students are, they're kind of, uh, they're gritty. They're not really, they don't want to be uh, aloof. They want to be engaged in the world. Um, and that's been very encouraging to me to see that. Now that means that you have to provide them with, the kinds of resources that they need to engage a very complicated world. Um, but they're, they're not, um, you know, sometimes you get this caricature of, of students who grew up in, in, in traditional Catholic families being sort of aloof from the world or something like that. I don't, I don't really find that at all or being overly conservative or, or reactionary. And I, I haven't found that to be the case. I find students who are, who have real serious questions and want to think seriously about their faith. And I welcome that. Um, and I do think that the, as the culture continues to change, the kinds of questions that they're posing are, are, are moving as well. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're living in this kind of age of post-truth. And I think one of the things that I see students, one question that I see them asking more frequently today than, than maybe 10, 15 years ago uh, is a really a philosophical question. How do I know it's real? Mm -hmm. How can I trust? Um, 
and that that's a great place to start because it gets you down to some really basic uh, philosophical and theological questions about the truth. Um, they want the truth. They want to, they're, they're heading for something. They have a target. They want to understand the whole. They don't want little parts separated from one another. They want a unified vision of, of the world and of reality. And that's what I think the Catholic tradition can, can bring for students is this unified vision. It sounds like, uh, again, as a bishop of the diocese uh, where, um, you know, concerns are expressed about uh, Catholic institutions, all that, what, what you and uh, you're hoping to achieve in the lives of young people with Catholic studies, I, it's something that it seems um, every student, every Catholic, in a Catholic university, certainly a Catholic student, should be exposed to that, to this, um, because it, it is, it, we're meant for truth and young people, um, there is a grace to, uh, to, to growing in faith. And um, I feel as, as the adults, whether it's the bishop or professor, we do have this very privileged and profound responsibility uh, if they're in front of us to guide them. And just, I think we have about a minute left. Uh, yeah. Joe, how about you, you know, with uh, uh, your wife and, and your kids, um, how is it today uh, in, in COVID trying to um, have a level of normalcy and living a faith where all around us, there seems to be uh, legitimate fear and at times uh, overly uh, worrisome and not trusting enough. Um, how has sure. it been for you and, and wife and the kids? Well, it's, it's been, uh, there have been blessings and there have been challenges. Um, one of the, the blessings has been sort of increased attention to prayer life at home. Um, in the absence of being able to frequent the sacraments, um, you know, we're regular mass goers. And so, and I don't really do well with watching uh, mm -hmm. mass. Um, I have real difficulties with that for a variety of reasons. Um, so, so, but, but knowing that there is, um, a, the tr church has a tradition of spiritual communion. That's a real thing. That's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Uh, and that um, as a family, we've had to kind of work on being the church of the home, which is something that that um, the church has been and popes have been talking about in the last 50 years. Uh, it, the, the family plays this very important role. Um, and so that's been a, it's been a blessing for us to be able to do that. The challenge is... Um, you, you miss your church family. You miss seeing the, the, the gathering of the masses and all their shapes and sizes and ages. And I, I love, love exposing my students to all the elderly people, you know, when we go to mass and these are your church family. We talk about it that way. And so we've missed our church family, um, but it's been, it's been a blessing to, yeah. to work on our faith at home together. Um, yeah. Well, Joe, that's the, the, yeah, the, the domestic church is, as is often called. And uh, I know we had a discussion with Father Connell about midnight mass in the cathedral. Uh, it has been a, a great blessing for me as the Bishop of uh, Spokane to celebrate mass on Christmas Eve every year. And uh, especially when there's snow, it does seem to be uh, a great experience. I, I could never be, I, of course I shouldn't say that, but I would find it hard to be in a place with heat and palm trees on, yeah. on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much. We're, we're just out of time for the show. I appreciate all you do for the students at Gonzaga and also our seminarians. And I pray that uh, the Christmas season for you and your family will bring much blessing, joy, and hope. Thanks, Joe, very much. God bless. Thank you, Bishop. Walking in Faith with Bishop David is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Spokane. 
Walking to Faith is produced and edited by Mitchell Palmquist. It can be heard on Sacred Heart Radio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcasting apps.